Hi, it's Ashley, and I am just over here trying to figure out how to orchestrate a kick-ass life. So I started this little podcast, and since before I started it, I have wanted to talk with the guest that I'm bringing on today. I'm so excited that we are talking with my stunning, bright light of a friend, Casey Sullivan, and we're talking about confidence. Loaded word, right? So before we get started, I'm going to give you my confidence equation. Uh, Still working this one out, but I think it starts with self-esteem. Do I love myself? And then it flows to ability. Do I believe I have the ability to do this thing or do I need to develop the ability to do this thing? And only when we flow through self-esteem and then to ability, can we even get to confidence? I feel like this is the equation of self-esteem plus ability that equals confidence. That is, I love myself and I believe in my abilities. Therefore, I now have the confidence to take action, to execute this thing I really believe in. But Casey is a student of confidence. And as is often the case, her message is born out of her own pain, her own struggles, her own journey. When you hear her, from the first moment you hear her, her strength is evident. She is a force of her own making, her own work, and she shares what I feel are some really important ideas here. They're ideas worth sitting with, and I am so blessed to call Casey a friend, and I'm so happy to get to share her voice with you here. So let's go. All right, Casey Sullivan, I am so happy you're here with me today. And before we even get started, I want to reflect back to you the first time I met you. Oh, goodness. (laughs) (laughs) We were at a business event and our mutual friend Cassie told me, my friend is coming and you have to meet her and she's amazing. And I walked into the room and you are this tall, stunning goddess of a woman and you had this statement necklace on. Seems right. Likely. Do you remember this? <laughs> and I looked up into your eyes and there's such kindness and warmth and joy and this energy about you that I said, I just, I need to know this woman. So thank you for showing up in the world the way that you do. Oh my goodness. Thank you. I'm super humbled and flattered. And if people could see me, I'm probably blushing. <laughs> Girl, I don't say things I don't mean. So I it was, know you don't. And that's yeah. why it's, it's received so much deeper. Yeah. So thank you. It was a really beautiful moment. And so now what, a year, year and a half later, yeah. here we are. I know. Um, kicked off this crazy podcast. And I just, since day one, I've been saying, I want to have you on here because I want people to know you and hear your story and what you have to say. So I really want to dive into your story. I know just enough to be dangerous, but I know it's beautiful. (laughs) But before we go down that road, would you just give an overview of what you do and how you help people? Sure. So sitting here today, I consider myself a confident strategist and an image consultant, meaning I help people develop the skill of internal self-confidence and project it into the world using the tool of wardrobe. 
So I feel like from the inside out, that mm-hmm. is your most powerful way to show up is authenticity. But you first have to like yourself to do that. Mm-hmm. And it became really important to me after 17 years in the fashion industry that people started recognizing fashion's this really cool, fun, powerful tool, but I see it being used more powerfully in the detriment of people than in the support of people. Tell me more about that. So we as a culture have a mindset. We have been indoctrinated with the belief, with the idea that we are supposed to look a certain way, be a certain way, have a certain status. Our houses are supposed to look a certain way. We're supposed to drive certain cars, whatever your story is, whatever your belief system is. And statistically, 97% of people aren't what they think they're supposed to be. Mm. Just reality of it. Just not attainable. Yeah. Yeah. Or they just haven't gotten to that level yet. Yeah. But because they're so stuck in the space of feeling less than, they can't achieve it. Yeah. And with fashion being my first true love and background, it was so hard to watch people. And this comes from a very personal journey. So we'll get into that, of course. But it was so hard to watch my clients as a stylist tear themselves apart to quote unquote, look a certain way. Mm-hmm. And I'm here supposed to be helping them build confidence in their wardrobe when really it was a bandaid covering wounds that they hadn't dealt with. Mm. And I couldn't justify that anymore. I'm like, let's put some Neosporin on that bandaid. Let's start healing some things. And then your clothes are no longer a Band-Aid. They're an aid. They get to propel you into the world. They're an expression. In their expression. Yeah. And that that was the shift that I wanted to be able to make for my clients. I love that. And I want to dig into how you do that. But really, your story explains how you even got to that point. I mean, yours has been a quest for confidence yes. from day one. So take us back. I did not start out as a confident individual. In fact, I was everything but. My whole childhood, my whole life, I am what I call a recovering people pleaser. Oh, it is something. I hear that. <laughs> <laughs> it is something I actively work on daily. There's lots of reasons why we develop into people pleasers, right? So everybody's journey on that's a little different. But essentially, I was so terrified of being rejected that whatever I thought I could do to make you like me was what I was going to do. Mm -hmm. And that catapulted into a very crazy space in my early 20s. I had the opportunity presented to do some international modeling. How did that even happen? (laughs) A sheer freak accident, truly. It was like right place, right time. I ran into somebody that was a big photographer in the industry and I shot some pictures with him and it just kind of went on its own little world. Oh my gosh, that's such the classic story. (laughs) I I remember reading that story in Teen Vogue when I was a kid, right? (laughs) But it was like, in my brain, I couldn't wrap my brain around it because I'm like, I'm not a pretty girl. Like, I did not consider myself pretty. I was tall and I was thin. And that was about it. Like, that was what I could wrap my brain around. And so the idea that somebody wanted to pay me to take my picture or pay me to put clothes on down a runway, I was just like, 
this isn't going to last. When's the shoe going to fall? But I've always been an opportunist. I could see the opportunity in the fact that they were like, hey, we want to take you to Paris. And I was like, free trip to Paris? Sign me up. I either like worst case scenario, Mm -hmm. I have three free weeks in Paris and I go home. Okay. How did being in front of the camera (laughs) affect your confidence? Like I I had trouble in front of a camera. I had no flipping clue what I was doing. Yeah. You were young enough. Yes. And I had people, I think, that believed in me when I didn't believe in myself early on in this journey that this photographer I was mentioning, being one of them, coached me on posing. Like, I didn't know what I was doing. He's like, here, walked me through everything. And I was like, okay. You know, it's like repetition. You do it. You have people coaching you on it. You do it enough. You start to understand angles. You start to understand how to position. So it's something you pick up like any other skill. You do it. You repeat it. You study. You study photos. You study film. You study magazines. You study other models that are huge in the industry. You start to focus in on what's working, what's selling, what they're looking for. And you start mimicking it and making it your own. That's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it's like anything else. You study it, you practice it, you do it. Okay. So I had this opportunity. It was incredible. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But if I had known the cost of this free trip long-term, I don't know if I would have taken it because the reality was they did this for two years, Paris, New York, LA. I two years in was so emotionally, physically, and mentally beat down that I didn't even know who I was anymore. Mm -hmm. I didn't like myself. I had even less self-confidence that I started with. And the scary thing was, is I didn't even know it. So I knew that modeling was not for me. There was lots of things involved, lots of gaslighting, lots of crazy stories that There's a book one day. There's a book one day. We'll just leave it there. I gotta be careful with some NDAs. <laughs> Good thing you know a lawyer. Yeah, right? <laughs> I kick Ash one, actually. I know. <laughs> so I knew this wasn't what I wanted to do long term, but I'd always loved fashion. And what it did give me the opportunity to do was it got me into a space where I could go and pursue my love of fashion. So I left modeling and entered into school for fashion design. How did you know it was time to leave? You just, you hit the low point? I hit the point of feeling so miserably out of my values Mm. that I couldn't sleep at night. Um, I was in a world that I didn't belong in and this isn't a judgment on anybody. There was lots of great opportunities. There was glamour, don't get me wrong, but there was lots of also not pretty. And when you think of the fact that for two years, my daily job was to walk around with a book of photos of me and ask people if I was worth a paycheck based on what they thought I looked like, that will tear you down faster than anything if you do not believe in yourself first. And as I mentioned, I did not. Yeah. And so when your whole paycheck is determined whether or not somebody else thinks you're right for this job, whether you're pretty enough, whether you're thin enough, whether you're the right color. And um, especially at that age. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm 21, 22 at the time. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't take it. Yeah. Couldn't take the scenarios I was being put into. I crushed me to see what other people were willing to do to get jobs. And I just couldn't live my life like that. 
And I knew I was so out of kilter that I would lose it if I stayed any longer. So I was like, all right, it's time to transition. Let's go. Yep, let's do it. I found a fashion school. It was exactly where I was supposed to be. I absolutely loved it. But I hadn't dealt with all the effects that had gone on for me emotionally, mentally, physically from the modeling industry and prior even. I don't want to just say this was all in, in industry's fault, right? Is It's not how it all ever works. But fast forward a year, I started having major health issues. I was close to finishing my degree. I was working as an intern turned job at Versace. I was really having some incredible successes in this industry. Um, had the opportunity to do some work for freelance for the Disney Channel that turned into more work. I, you know, so got to work with huge companies, huge brands, was having some major successes, was like, this is it. Like film, TV styling, this is exactly what I want to do. It was just, it was the perfect fit. And then all of a sudden my health fell apart. It started with pain. Like I was having huge, like, swelling edema like -hmm. like my ankles would be three times the size they were supposed to be when I'd wake up in the morning and it would just hurt to step on my feet so it's just swelling everything hurt I just felt like I was a walking bruise and I started putting on weight like crazy you had trauma trapped in your body oh so much trauma so much but I didn't know about any of that no who who knew that and so you go to your general prac at 22 years of age and you say hey doc something's wrong I've put on 18 pounds in six days And so he runs general labs and he's like, yeah, you're fine. And he writes down on his prescription pad, you have a vanity issue. I recommend counseling. No. Oh, yes. Yes, he did. 18 pounds in six days Uh should raise an eyebrow, (laughs) should require some labs. I don't know. But I think a lot of us are sort of poo-pooed when we walk in with issues like that. Yes. Um, or here's a pill. So quickly dismissed. Yeah. Nobody yeah. wants to find root cause. Here's a Band-Aid. This is why I get so passionate about my clothing situation now. And nobody wants to actually help you find the root. How can I solve this problem? I don't need a Band-Aid. I need to fix this because I'm 22 and I don't know what's going on with my health. Or how to even advocate for your health. Right. Yeah. And when he wrote that I was mortified I was so embarrassed I was like filled with so much shame like he's right like oh my gosh because I'm sure in his mind in Hollywood Mm -hmm. he sees underweight girls all the time come in and to him 18 pounds wasn't any big deal modeling I was sitting between 111 and 113 Mm -hmm. at six feet tall like I was very small so 18 pounds on me was nothing Mm -hmm. in his mind Mm -hmm. but in my mind, and the reality is, it's still unhealthy. Nobody in a healthy way packs on 18 pounds in six days without a problem. Yeah. But I was so mentally like hit with that yeah. that I wouldn't go back to a doctor for another like nine months. Oh, no. And so within that nine months, all my issues started getting worse. I put on 100 pounds in nine months. Wow. And if you want to talk about an industry that lets you know real fast that you are no longer worthy of being in the industry (laughs) for being bigger, (laughs) it was the industry I worked in. So you learned really quickly who your friends were and who weren't, who you thought were your friends that very quickly became avoiding you. 
you were no longer the pretty girl that could get them into the party. You were the chubby girl that embarrassed them on the sidewalk. And people made that very evident to me in multiple ways. I mean, the local gas station I stopped at because it was closest to my house. The guys that worked the counter thought they had the right to tell me how I needed to be eating less because I was putting on weight so much. You know, it's like the age old thing. Like people just don't understand what's going on and feel the Mm-hmm. the right to share their opinions and you're like mm. I don't need your commentary on my life Thanks but so thank much. you I'm very aware of what I look thank like you. you're so sweet for pointing that out and how <laughs> how lonely that must have felt for this to be happening for you to be 22 in California not having a good sense of what to even do about it oh yeah it was insane when I look back on it mm-hmm. um, at that point I was just so focused I was just a few months shy of graduating with my fashion degree and I was like I am not letting this go. And my sweet and loving parents were like, please come home, like get your health in order. You can always go back. And I'm like, no, if I stop two months short of my degree, I will never go back. I have to finish it out. And I did. I was brave. And I worked on Like I ended up working a little while longer in the industry. But at Mm -hmm. that point, my self-worth was so low that every good thing that I did, I self-sabotaged because I didn't think I was worth it. So it didn't matter what successes I was gaining. I was immediately turning around and self-sabotaging them Yeah, because I didn't see any value in myself because I had unknowingly in that time frame tied my entire self-worth to my weight and how I looked in the mirror. Ugh. And when society was telling me that I was correct in that based on what I was surrounded by, who am I to argue? So Clearly I'm worthless. I, <laughs> but that but was my mindset. So then, many right? people could relate to that. Yeah. So many people. Yeah. So that was my mindset. And so after a very crazy story with heavy metals poisoning and this whole thing where the health oh. department had to get involved and the police department had to start interviewing people because they thought somebody was trying to poison me. <laughs> Wait, was this because where you were staying had metal no. exposure? What it actually ended up being after months and months of investigation from multiple departments in the city <laughs> resources wow. was my metabolism had shut down essentially. And because in the process of me packing on all this weight and I was so desperate to lose the weight that I basically was starving myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was so afraid to eat anything cause I yeah. could, like, it didn't matter. I was gaining weight like crazy. Yeah. And so I basically shut my metabolism down. My body thought it was starving and it was not even, something wasn't working correctly. And this is what I think was trauma induced. Mm-hmm. Um, course they'll always label it an autoimmune disease whatever but my metabolism stopped processing nutrients from my food so everything i ate it stored as fat yeah because my body thought it was starving it wasn't pulling nutrients yeah so what ended up organically happening through that not only were my nutrients so depleted i was having to get them iv'd in that my body um you like lettuce spinach apples a lot of things naturally have arsenic in them but your body knows how to get rid of them. And within 72 hours, it runs through the process and it dispels through your waste. But your body, but my body was holding them on. It was storing it all in my fat cells. So it was slowly poisoning me from the inside. Wow. And I was getting sicker and sicker and sicker. What doctor figured this out? (laughs) Um, Actually, it was a natural doctor. Yes. Those are my favorites. Yes. Yes. In LA. And then they sent me over to UCLA because they were like, there's no way these labs are right. Like, so yeah. UCLA did a bunch of testing. So it was kind of a combination of things. Like, so after all that, I was like, I was just defeated. 
I didn't think I was worth anything else. And so I was like, you know what? Mom and dad are right. I'm just going to move home. Like I'm 25. I'm going to hang my hat. I'm going to bury myself in my bedroom and woe is me. The pity story goes. <laughs> well, so how did you turn it around? Cause that's not the woman I know. <laughs> Something happened. <laughs> yeah. But, and that's like the journey, right? Yeah. First of all, I have the most incredible parents. I can't tell you how blessed I am to know that I had the support system that I did on the back end. I know that a lot of people don't have that. And so that alone was instrumental to know that you have no matter what happens in life, no matter what I tried, whether they understood it or not, because trust me, my parents did not understand my (laughs) going off to model (laughs) my very, very modest, humble parents (laughs) just could not wrap their brains around my lifestyle. Um, But they were there for me no matter what. And they always were there with support and love and to push me to not get stuck in the ick, right? Mm -hmm. So of course my mom has been a nurse for 45 years. And so she was very adamant that we continue to like dig into health stuff. What's going on? There's gotta be a a route to this, da, 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 da. So we started seeing lots of specialists and she would, you know, we would look up people, we would dig into things. We found it. So we were down at one of my treatments in the Dallas area. And I lived in North Texas at the time and she was with me. And she goes, what do you want to do on your downtime between treatments? And I said, nothing. I want to go wallow in the hotel room. You can do whatever you want. (laughs) I'll be in the bed with the covers pulled over my head. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, these were not pretty days. (laughs) They're not proud moments. But she goes, no, we're not doing that. She goes, how about we go shopping? Let me tell you, my mom is not a shopper. In terms like, this was like something that I was like, my mom wants to go shopping. Like, okay, I'm not going to like pass this up because this is a once in a lifetime chance. <laughs> she knew her daughter. <laughs> yeah, she did. Yeah. She, she knew her daughter very well. And so we go to one of the local malls and she goes, I want you to pick out clothes. I'm going to buy you outfits. Again, my mom has to buy my clothes since middle school. Like that was not her thing. So I'm like, who is this woman? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what's happening? She goes, you have one condition. I said, oh, what's that? She goes, you can't buy anything black. She goes, you are such a bold, loud, beautiful woman. And I have watched you for a year bury yourself in layers of black fabric. And I'm sick of it. Wow. She's like, you are going to find some things with color. And she's like, and you're going to put a smile on your face until you feel like it's real. Okay. Here's the question. (laughs) Side note. What do you think about fake it till you make it? Because sometimes I think it's like just show up until you make it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's an expression that gets overused and um, used as an excuse a lot. Yeah. I think there's a point where in the moment, like they, there's studies on this, like the science, if you just fake laugh, it will raise your endorphins and you will actually start laughing like with true. And there's so many studies in science and how, I think there's reality in that. Oh my gosh. I did um, laughter yoga in (gasps) Portugal at a retreat. That sounds amazing. I have never felt so ridiculous in my entire (laughs) life, but there was some therapy to it for sure. sure. (laughs) It was bizarre. Oh, I love it. Oh my gosh. I really kind of hope you, there's like 
photos of this somewhere. I don't know. That's really I, cool. I can find you a photo. <laughs> it's um, yeah. It was. It was in hindsight. I'm really glad I did it. But that's the, there are folks that sign up for laughter yoga. Yeah. On the daily. Um, yes. Yeah. Because it, it does something. It rewires sure. your nervous system. Sure. Essentially, it's like deep breathing will also rewire your nervous system if you're feeling anxious or stressed. And taking time to like slow down and deep breathe will rewire that for you. So I think there's truth founded in like a fake it till you make it. What mm. ends up happening is people want to hold on to that fake space for too long. Mm. And they see that as how they have to show up always. And so they become inauthentic. And that's not sustainable. So therefore you build something out of a facade that three months down the road, six months down the road, a year down the road, crumbles like a house built out of cards. Yeah, because it's not it aligned. A, yeah, it's not aligned yeah. to who you actually are. So I think it's a slippery slope. I think there's reality and truth and good in in that one moment. You need to like muster that to mm -hmm. just get started. But then you have to realign yourself to authenticity. And I think that's the difference in for me. And being able to say that, I was like, okay, mom, you're crazy. Like, but there was, <laughs> she was so right. Yeah. Like I went and I found a couple things and I, I remember this one silk organza blouse I bought. This is like bright royal blue. And it had this like crazy funky pattern on it. And like all these neon colors, neon corals and yellows and greens. And I was just like, it was the first time I remember looking in the mirror in 18 months and being like, oh, I really like this on me. Oh. And I hadn't felt that way in so long. What a good moment. And it was that moment that I was like, what the hell am I actually doing? I know how to dress myself. I was trained for this. I have helped people do this for a living. I have helped people on film with big names attached do this. I know how to dress myself. Even though my body is different than it used to be, I can make this work for me. And that's how that shift kind of started happening. I started using clothes as armor. Mm. Been there, done that. Yes. Worn many suits to court. Mm -hmm. High heels were my mojo. Yeah, yeah of course. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yeah. So that was kind of how that shift first started happening when I decided to go back to school because I didn't know if I was ever going to be moving back to a place where fashion was actually a viable option for work because it was not in Amarillo, Texas. <laughs> no. Like I had little like side gigs and stuff I could do to stay relevant and like keep practicing things, but it wasn't ever going to pay my bills there. Yeah. So I went back to school for nonprofit business and rehabilitation services because I had decided I wanted to do clothing for people with disabilities. And that was the way I was going to marry the fashion with rehabilitation services and what ended up coming out of that was like the beginning of my healing journey emotionally from my own traumas and recognizing how everybody's story could be very different than mine but we're all walking around with them there's so many choices that you make that anybody makes based on a story they have in their head that came from an experience they had as a child or something somebody told them, or, you know, even if your loved one wasn't trying to be mean, they poked fun at something that you now carry around in your pocket as a badge of like less than, I call them enoughness stories. Mm -hmm. So how do I help you find the root of your problem? So you no longer have to use clothes as a band-aid, as an armor, 
that you get to turn those clothes into a tool to project you and to feel confident and to put yourself out there how you want to be. And that was the shift for me. I love this because I think what I'm hearing is that in helping others was healing. That was your healing. It was. I started volunteering um, at the cancer center doing wig fittings for patients. I started just randomly like helping. I call her my first accidental client. My friend came to me and she's like, my friend needs her help buying a dress. And I was like, in my mind, everybody can shop. This is not hard. Go shop. (laughs) Find a dress. Like, you don't need me for that. She's like, she's willing to pay you. And I'm like, what? (laughs) Why? I don't really do that anymore. Because I was still so much in my own ick. Yeah. You know, I had gotten some better, but I was still really struggling. Yeah. Long story short, she convinced me to go. I spent about four hours with this woman. She needed a cocktail dress for a formal event. Her husband was receiving a big award and he wanted her to go up on stage to receive it with him. And she did not want to do it Mm -hmm. because she had just had a double mastectomy. She was covered in scar tissue. She didn't feel like she deserved to be up there. She'd lost her womanhood. She was worried she was gonna embarrass her husband. And all I saw was this amazing, powerful, beautiful warrior that survived something so intense and she was drowning in self-doubt from it. And it was in that moment in that dressing room that I was like, oh, I know that pain. Her story is different than mine, but I knew that pain so well and I can help her get past it. And I was like, oh, like that's a powerful feeling. And, and it yeah. was like in four hours, we had her dress, we had her shoes, we had her, per, like all her accessories. And we did like a once over in the dressing room to put everything on together. And she starts crying. And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> Sorry, <I don't> like <laughs> yeah, that's welcome here. Okay. I was like, I don't know. I, gonna, I was like, that was not my goal. This woman's crying now. And she did. She, it was, it was that same moment I had a few years prior in the dressing room. She goes, mm-hmm. I feel beautiful right now. I didn't know I could ever feel pretty again. And I was like, oh. Like, oh, like she had just given me the biggest gift I could have ever asked for. And I think that was the first time I really recognized like, okay, it's time for you to get over yourself. You are not the only person on this journey, (laughs) but I do know how to help people on this journey. And so let me start doing that. I love that story. Number one, you get tears in my eyes, but I I like to think about this sort of in terms of, I guess we probably need to define confidence, but I Mm. see confidence sort of wrapped up with various elements of body confidence, Mm -hmm. financial confidence, emotional stability, all of those things. So how, how do we even start to unpack that and then do the work? Clothes are a confidence builder for me. I'm I've always loved clothes as expression, but there's root issues Mm -hmm. buried there. Absolutely. Um, So I actually think it's a very insightful question. Not many people ask. Now in all these years, I have come to understand, because if you Google confidence, you're going to come up with like a variation of a multitude of definitions, right? But what I have found confidence to be is very multifaceted. But at the end of the day, I boil it down to willingness to try. Are you willing to get yourself out there and try? Are you grounded enough in self to know that if you try, it doesn't have to be perfect It might not have the result you want, but you can try again. That makes so much sense because I was trying to define it Mm -hmm. on the way here. I was thinking about it. I'm like, well, there's 
There's self-esteem, mm-hmm. right? Which is, I love myself. I care for myself. Yes. And then there's a belief in my abilities. Yeah. But loving myself enough to believe in my abilities to then go execute, to show up. It's that last piece that I think I get stuck on and I know other people oh, get stuck we on. we all get stuck on it. And I think that's, for me, that's what confidence is. Confidence, and it shows up just like you said, very differently for people. There's layers to it. Some of it's body image, some of it's self-image, self-esteem, some of it's how we feel about our capabilities. How we um, One of the biggest ones that we struggle with in our world is the feeling of social belonging, right? Mm-hmm. How do we think other people view us? Are we good enough for them? I have never met a woman that's actually judging a woman to be unkind to the other woman they're judging the woman in comparison to themselves absolutely but the hurt and the woundedness makes it become unkind to the other woman right but it's really because yes but it's really because they're judging themselves and that's where the breakdown happens so for me like working with clients the starting point is assessments if i need to know what your baseline is what are the areas you're struggling with Obviously, a lot of my clients are struggling with body image. I struggled with body image, but also like a lack of feeling like I was capable. Like that's a whole nother layer. A lack mm-hmm. of, um, I work with a lot with women that are in male-dominated industries. They're really good at their jobs, but there's like this thing holding them back from showing up at the table the same way a man would. Well, okay. Right. Can we go? Yeah. To, can we just take as a on lawyer, I issues? feel like, yes, 100%. We can, I, we can go there. It's tricky these days <laughs> to take tricky. this on, but I want to approach it with respect and um, admiration for the way both genders show up. Because I think, guys, I mean, I watched in many boardrooms and courtrooms, you know, guys handled the pressure differently too. They mm-hmm. had confidence issues. Sometimes oh, it showed 100%. up as swagger. Some, you know, uh, sometimes it showed up as anger. Um, yes. But if I walked in and felt unconfident, is that a word? Unconfident in the space. If I overplayed my hand, I was a bitch. Mm-hmm. I was arrogant. I was a know-it-all. I've seen many men who are know-it-alls, but and I guess some of it is like learning how to play in that space. Right. And when I finally liked who I was and started just showing up the way I wanted to, things mm-hmm. got a lot better. Right. But how do we support one another, men and women, or how does it work for guys? Yeah. Well, and it's so tricky because you're absolutely right. I This is not... Lack of confidence knows no boundaries, right? It doesn't matter gender, race, ethnicity, religion, none of that. Mm-hmm. We all struggle with insecurity, you know, and if you're at the top of your game, maybe your insecurity is imposter syndrome. And with men particularly, it comes often comes across as arrogant, egotistical, braggadocious. Like those are their signs of lack of confidence because they're trying to cover up, right? Yeah. Now that's not always the case, but I would say it's it's a pretty strong guess. Like it's it's a pretty high percentage. When that stuff starts showing up really mm-hmm. heavily, it's because they're feeling lack of in some area. 
Yeah, I heard it was either in a book or a talk that Brene Brown gave, and she's going all over the country speaking to crowds of mostly women about shame and how being vulnerable Mm -hmm. will help you push through shame, right? And we do the work there. And after one of her talks, a man came up to her and said, yeah, that's all well and good. You say you want us to be vulnerable, but when it comes right down to it, you want us to hold it together. You want a strong chest to lean on. You want us to, you know, be your knight in shining armor. And so, you know, we're conflicted and it creates a lack of confidence for us. And I just wanted to bubble wrap that man and give him a big old hug, right? Right. And and he's not wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, there's so many layers to our beliefs and our desires from the opposite sex or from ourselves and what we expect. There was a really great book that came out a couple years ago, and I'm totally blanking on this guy's name all of a sudden. Anyways, it's called Man Enough. He has Mm -hmm. a podcast, too. Mm Mm-hmm. And he really started to define what it meant in our culture to be a man and what we raise our children to think young boys, what men means. What's expected of them. Yeah. And he really talked about a lot of these things. And I was just like, oh, you know, I've, you know, obviously I've never been a man. I have seen these things and I work with clients through some of these things, but I've never been able to understand it from the perspective that he was breaking it down. Mm -hmm. And because obviously he's lived it. And he's an actor in Hollywood as well. So he's experienced a lot of the same things I experienced, but from a male perspective. Fascinating. And so it was a really great book for me to read. But he talked about that a lot. And it's like, oh, man, there are so many mixed messages of what are we supposed to be? Who are we supposed to be? And that's, I think, where confidence comes in the most Mm -hmm. is when you can be grounded enough in self that you say, you know what, I'm just going to do what feels good to me. Not in a way that's going to harm somebody else. Right. Like, I want this and I'm not, not going to stop it. Not in a selfish way. Yeah, not in a selfish way. But in way. a loving way. But in a loving way, I'm just going to show up as myself, for myself, authentically, always. And that's the skill of confidence. That's what gets developed, is that baseline of that. How do we figure out who we are in the first place? What authentic is Yeah. And that's really actually a great question. And it's really hard to answer because everybody's journey is a little different. But this goes back to me saying, (laughs) I wholeheartedly believe in, like, there's so many personality assessments. There's so many, you know, motivation assessments. Some of these assessments are really helpful. I've written Mm -hmm. one of my own. There's several I utilize with my clients also. So we can kind of strip back the layers and find out what's going on. It's the same thing. Like when you walk in to do counseling or whatever, they're going to ask you a ton of questions. They're going to dig into things because they're trying Mm -hmm. to strip back layers. Because until you kind of can get to that root, you can't start figuring out what needs to be worked on a little bit. And everybody's journey is so different. So everybody's area of focus is going to be so different. And so we blanketly say like, oh, go do this activity. You'll feel better. Maybe. But maybe that's not your problem. It's why I get so annoyed with Pinterest because it's like, here are the do's and don'ts of your body type. Okay, cool. That's like the theory of art, balance, proportion, and line. I get Mm -hmm. all that. That's real. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it doesn't factor in any of the things you actually feel about yourself. Just because you're quote unquote a pear shape doesn't mean you're having the same struggles that 80% of the other pear shaped women are having. So 
you might follow this list and actually feel worse. Yeah. Because it's accentuating something you feel very uncomfortable about. Or doesn't even align with your personality yes. or what you want to portray or right. project. Yeah. So it's like yeah. there's averages and there's some truth to all those averages. Mm-hmm. But until you can actually take the time and, and are willing to take the time to strip away the layers, mm-hmm. sometimes it's counseling, sometimes it's a mentor, sometimes it's a coach, sometimes it's simply talking to your best friend over a bottle of wine, <laughs> <laughs> journaling. There's yeah. so many avenues, but it's being willing to actually stop and take the time to do it. Yeah. There's no quick fix to that stuff. And I wish there was. I tried them all. (laughs) I've tried a lot of things in all of those. Tried a lot of quick fixes. I've spent a lot lot of money on them. Wasted a lot of energy and time and money. (laughs) Well, okay. Let's let's talk clothing. Okay. okay. I'm speaking my language. I I mean (laughs) what is style? And not only what is it, but how do we develop it? To me, style is the external expression of essence. Mm. Say that again. External expression of essence. So fashion's what you buy, style is what you do with it. You go and you buy the fashion and your style, the essence of who you are if you're doing it well, comes out in that external expression. Is this why I can rock a Target dress? Absolutely. Okay. There's yes. the answer. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm I'm not I'm not trying to be like no. whatever, but it's always been bizarre to me mm-hmm. that I can pull it off, you know. 100%. Okay. 100%. And and people that do style well just show up authentically, and the other factor to good style is fit. Mm. When you buy clothes that fit you, it doesn't matter if they're trendy, it doesn't matter if they're in season, they will always look good. Because they fit you. Instead of buying a sack because you're feeling a little uncomfortable right. about where you Trying are. Trying to in that fit moment. into clothes that are too small, mm-hmm. clothes that are too big. People really underestimate the power of alterations. Mm-hmm. And this goes back to like the Industrial Revolution, right? When you think about prior to that, everybody had their clothes tailor made. Your mom made them, mm-hmm. your, you know, you they were made in home or you paid somebody to do it if you had the money to do that but everybody had homemade, like tailor-made clothes. So they were just designed to fit your body. Now the industrial revolution happens. They can make a whole lot more for a whole lot cheaper. We all like that, right? Of course. But when you think about something being mass produced, now you're doing things on the law of averages. It's not designed to fit you anymore. It was never meant to be buy off the rack and wear. It was meant to be buy off the rack and alter it to your needs. And it was still going to be cheaper than having it tailor-made. But people forgot the alteration piece (laughs) and just started wearing it as is. And then they wonder why they don't feel good in it. Like, yeah, because it doesn't actually fit your body. And now you're like, now we have all these other stories going on to like, I have to be this size. And this size says, and and sizes are so arbitrary. Yeah, and they've changed over the years. It's a marketing ploy, guys. They want to make money on you. Cut the damn tag out. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody's going to see it. But it's, okay. like, it sticks with us. Like, we're just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm having to buy size 10. And I went through that journey. When I say I put on 100 pounds in nine months, I went from a double zero to an 18 in nine months. And I bought every clothes size in between. And did I tell you how much that fucked with my mind? And I was like, oh my God, I wore a six last, last month. I'm more, why am I buying a 12? Like, 
and and you just start to devalue yourself and devalue yourself on this arbitrary number. And I'm like, and then you find the brands that understand marketing and their eight is really somebody else's 10. And you're like, I'm buying those. I don't care if they cost a hundred extra dollars. I'm an eight. (laughs) You know? Oh yeah. There's so much of that out there. So many layers. So so many layers to it. Yeah. Well, okay. So can one, well, I know the answer to this. The answer is yes. So how does one develop style without breaking the bank? Like you worked for Versace. Mm-hmm. One does not have to purchase Versace to have great style. And then how does that then play when, you know, when you play with that, how does it play into your confidence? Ooh, good question. Developing style is trial and error, right? You just have to be willing to try something. And I, I joke a lot, and I've said this to many people, but it's true. Goodwill to Gucci, it doesn't matter. It's fit and authenticity. So now there's things that will help too. Like if you understand colors and you're like, you understand color tones and how what colors are going to really enhance you, what colors are going to make you brighten up versus looking more tired. That's real. Yeah, There's you're nuances. wearing bright yellow <laughs> and it's this gorgeous contrast with your dark hair and your blue eyes. Like, yeah, it's it's genius. Thank you. Uh, but it, but it's so those things you can learn, right? You, yeah. can, you can go and have somebody do your color analysis and they'll give you a palette. Like stick to these colors and it'll always look good. Like those are things that are tried and true. There's reality to that. But a lot of it's just feeling good in what you wear and nothing looks better than confidence does. There is not an accessory that will look better than confidence does. It's understanding what you like and why. Mm -hmm. So this goes back into people shop out of habit and not intention. And when you shop out of habit, what do you do? You buy the same thing over and over again. Yeah, you don't and you know end what up else with to do. Like nine black pencil skirts yes. back in the day. Yeah, in, exactly. In the closet, and you have nothing to wear. Right, because yeah. you're like, oh, like I'm an emotional shopper. Real honest here. So I get a whim, and I just want to shop because I need a little dopamine hit, mm-hmm. or um, I'm really happy, so I want to shop to reward myself, or whatever it might be. If I'm just shopping for the sake of shopping, and I'm not intentional about what I'm bringing into my closet, now I'm going to end up with whatever emotion I had on at that moment. Mm. If I was feeling frumpy, if I was, it's probably going to be something that's baggy and flowy and actually doesn't help me at all. If I'm feeling, you know, va va voom, I'm probably going to buy something that I'm like, ooh, five more pounds, I'll look great in this. And then I never wear it because I never lost the five pounds. Mm-hmm. So if, if you're buying out of habit, if you're buying out of a whim, you're going to end up with a closet full of clothes that don't serve you. So this is where developing intention and understanding why you're purchasing the things and what makes you feel a certain way so you know what to shop for when you are shopping, it changes the game. And that's how you get to build a wardrobe that makes you feel really confident is when you fully understand why you're buying it, what it makes you feel like, and those feelings are what you're going for. So it's like the the concept of me saying, I now get to use my clothes as a tool of projection versus a tool of armor or a tool to hide and cover up. Mm-hmm. And that for me was the big shift in feeling really confident in my clothes. Now again, there was a time when that armor was very needed until I could heal and it's okay. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. But still I knew that intention. I was still aware of my intention there and I, chose things that made me feel like a badass 
Cause I was like, I need something to make me feel like a badass. Like there's a whole like phase I went through where it was very much like biker chic. Um, because that's what I needed to feel strong at the moment. Well, you know, there you know, are eras. Yeah, there are eras. There are eras. There are eras. I'm pretty sure yeah. this was like when Sons of Anarchy first launched and you're, everyone's like, ooh, Sons of Anarchy. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I could totally be a biker. I could not. <laughs> you could be anything you want to be. <laughs> so total side note, I remember in college, we used to have these theme parties. And mm-hmm. I noticed that when people would dress up like Stone Age mm-hmm. or Bikers and Babes or whatever, People would take it to the next level. They would act ridiculous yeah. because they weren't themselves anymore. Uh-huh. They were in character. Yep. It was fascinating. The power of a costume is insane. And that's why the costume department in films is so important. Yeah. Because it transcends. It transcends the way the actor feels in the role. And it transcends the viewer and how they see it on the movie or the mm-hmm. show. It is because clothes it doesn't matter how you cut it how you explain it it, they elicit emotions for us Mm -hmm. and that's why clothes are so powerful they elicit an emotion in you and how you show up and that's where being intentional and choosing things that make you feel a certain way versus buying out of habit will Mm -hmm. change how you show up same thing with how people perceive you you are a walking billboard for yourself and you get to control the message if you know how to control the message Ooh, I like that. As with all things, intentionality yeah. rules the day. Let me jump in here real quick. At this point, I asked Casey, what do we do if in a moment or a period in our lives, we don't have the money to throw at a wardrobe to help us access confidence? And I love what she has to say here, but I can say with certainty, we have way more than we could ever need or want. So here's our conversation on that point. If you're listening to this and you're like, I don't have Mm -hmm. the money to go out and and build confidence around this, there are things in your closet. I promise you there are things in your closet. You're just not seeing them. Yes. Yeah. So this is where intentionality comes back in. So now if you are at a place you can't go buy more, take the time Write out what you want to feel like when you put something out. Like really sit with yourself. Give yourself five minutes and journal about it. Yeah. Yeah. What do I want to feel like when I get dressed? What makes me feel confident? What makes me feel pretty? What makes me feel powerful? What makes me whatever you're trying to achieve? And then go into your closet, find those items, pull them out, and then go back in your closet and find items that are similar. Because so often we buy things and we just don't quite know how to wear it, or we don't know what to do with it, or we forgot we had it. They're just hanging in there collecting dust Mm -hmm. and see how you can recreate the things that make you feel great with other pieces you already own. I love that. So you're essentially like using a pattern, right? This pattern in my closet makes me feel really good. What other fabrics, other clothes that I own already in the closet can create this pattern. And then you've made, you know, 10 new outfits out of the free shopping spree in your closet. I used to say to myself over the last year, I've said to myself, everything I need, I already have. Oh my gosh. I've used that affirmation so many have times. You? Yes. <laughs> it's a good one. Write that down, oh, folks. Yes. <laughs> everything I need, I already have. <laughs> I love it. All right. There's another thing I want to cover okay. and then I think we'll wrap it up. Okay. 
I have heard you say ambition without apology. Talk to me. Oh, goodness. Okay. So this is so funny. It came from, this has kind of become my anthem in the last six months. And I realized that it was so real for most of my clients also. Because again, as I mentioned, I'm a recovering people pleaser. And even in my own business, I started like second guessing things. I started trying to figure out would this make this person happy? And I'm like, what am I doing? My business is not about making other people happy. My business is about helping people. And that isn't always making the people around you happy in the way that you'd think. So I started telling myself, look, this is my belief that this work is necessary and needed. And I believe in it to the point that I am willing to sacrifice my own luxury to get there. And that to me is ambition without apology. So everybody that could look like something different for several of my clients, um, I had a client just coming out of rehab from an eating disorder and she was trying to get back into everyday life and repair relationships with family and friends and things of that nature. And so her ambition is different than mine right now, but she needs to do it unapologetically. And she also needs to be able to do it from a space where she still protects herself on her journey of healing. So how can you show up to mend and be loving without sacrificing love for yourself? And, you know, I've got clients again, I said, work in very male dominated industries that were really struggling with that piece and showing up at the table authentically, but powerfully, like, you know, the fear of being labeled the bitch, but they also didn't want to be walked all over. So it was like finding that very finite space for them to Mm -hmm. own and to feel really confident in owning it. And you can't change how other people perceive you. That's not, that's, you can't ever change that. But if you feel good in how you show up, it won't matter to you. And that to me is, is unapologetically showing up in your ambitions, whatever they are. And, and that's what I want people to be able to embrace. They feel so good in within themselves that they just unapologetically show up and do what they are meant to do in this world. And if we all did that, then the world gets to be that much more beautiful. Amazing. (laughs) Amazing. Uh, My heart is so full with that concept. I want to spend some time on it. Yeah. Think about it. Thank you for that. Oh, of course. Thanks for letting me share it. (laughs) Yes. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being you and for helping people and loving people the way you do. I just, I think it's really special. Thank you. Thanks for bringing me on. This was so fun and I'd love to get to see you anytime I can. I told you, Casey is a force. I love her. I love her insights. Here are the takeaways. Here's the list. Number one, our clothes can be a band-aid covering wounds we haven't dealt with. On the other hand, clothes can be an aid to propel us into the world. Number two, on her learning how to be a model, she says, and I love this, it's like anything, you study it, you practice it, you do it. Number three, on finding her path, helping others is healing. Number four, confidence is the willingness to try 
Are you willing to put yourself out there and try? Are you grounded enough in self to know that if you try, it doesn't have to be perfect? It might not have the results you want, but you can try again. Number five, confidence comes when we can be grounded enough in self that we say, I'm just going to do what feels good to me, not in a harmful way, but in a loving way. I'm going to show up for myself authentically, always. Number six, style is the external expression of essence. Fashion is what you buy. Style is what you do with it. Number seven, don't underestimate the power of alterations. Number eight, developing style is trial and error. You just have to be willing to try something. Number nine, you don't need a ton of money to create style. From Goodwill to Gucci, it doesn't matter. It's fit and authenticity. Number 10, approach ambition without apology. How can you show up to be loving toward others without sacrificing your love for yourself? Number 11, you can't change how other people perceive you, but if you feel good in how you show up, it won't matter how they perceive you. And number 12, finally, one of our favorite affirmations is this, everything I need, I already have. I know you enjoyed KC. If confidence is not something you chat about with your friends, well, why not? Maybe use this episode as a springboard for those discussions. I mean, each of us in this world has a different view of confidence, how we get it, how we deal with the lack of it. And these are important conversations and there's no one right answer, but let's at least start the conversation. And I think what Casey had to say today is great for that. I've put all of her contact information in the show notes. Find her, follow her, let her know how much you appreciate her message and her mission. And if there's one thing I'm confident in, it's that you are someone special. Let yourself shine this week. Step into your authenticity, your voice, your strength. I promise it's there and shine. I'll talk to you soon. 